0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by The Greenhouse Tavern, one of Bon Appetit magazine's top 10 restaurants in America. For more information, visit www.thegreenhousetavern.com. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today to tell you about what a difference a day makes. <laughs> I love that tagline. That's amazing. With Tug Braun, Hello. of Maine Day Boat Scallops.
3: Thank you for having me here.
1: A pleasure. I mean, I'm sitting next to a old box of seafood uh, Luckily, not live and crawling around like that Woody Allen scene, even though that is hysterical. um, I'm glad that it's uh, boxed up for now. But we're going to open up the box and talk about seafood in general, um, as well as scallops up in Maine. Um, I myself have quite the affinity towards all things bivalve mollusks. As well you should, especially Maine scallops, because they're the best in the world. And I I can attest. (laughs) I've had my fair share and crave them all the time and sad when they're not with me. Mm -hmm. Um, But... You, you are you a mainer for life, or is it just you know, like, Maine jingoism? It's the way life should be. <laughs> yeah, um, Maine, better known as Vacation Land. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of people that I know up there are associated with fishing somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did you grow up in Maine, and what was life like?
3: Um, perfect, of course. No, I grew <laughs> up on uh, I grew up in Cape Elizabeth, which is just south of Portland. Uh, my parents are both teachers, but my father also lobstered in the summer. He still does lobster. He no longer teaches. Uh, and I, I can't explain why it is that I developed this sort of fascination with commercial fishing, because that was just one thing that you know my father did. He was also a Maine guide. But something very early on, I, I caught the bug and became fascinated with Maine's commercial fishing industry.
1: Yeah, it's almost a given that everyone lobsters in Maine, that they do this one thing. I'm the mayor of the town, <clears throat> and I am a lobster
3: man. Oh, God, no. Um, <laughs> there are... Uh, fewer than 6,000 licensed lobstermen in Maine, and there are I think it's 1.3 million people, so only the, the lucky ones uh, lobster. Yeah.
1: so it's a preconception that everyone is a lobster yes, person. Yes, you damn Maine. New Yorkers yeah. <laughs> you've got these
3: preconceptions about Maine. Yeah,
1: so I mean, then you think of the sheer quantity, the volume of lobster that comes from Maine mm-hmm. with the amount of people that are actually working on it, mm-hmm. I mean how much do these boats bring in? It must be massive amounts.
3: Well, it varies um, I think this last year we had brought in 123 million pounds of lobster. And that's not normal. I mean, the historic average was quite a bit less than that. It was about a quarter of that. We've had an explosion of lobster in the Gulf of Maine recently. Um, But yeah, I mean, there are guys that are bringing in quite a bit of lobster. Unfortunately, right now, the price is not as high as it should be. The, The prices that they're getting right now I believe the 2011 prices were the same that they got in, if I'm remembering correctly, it was 1997. Yeah, and, and that's without inflation. That's that without inflation. That's the same exact you know dollar-for-dollar dollar boat price, but then the costs have skyrocketed. What they're paying for insurance, for fuel, for bait, that's gone way up. So really... If it weren't for the volume that they're landing right now, a lot of these guys would be going under. So it's a dangerous predicament. Uh, and in years past, fishermen were able to, to switch back and forth between different fisheries. Um, for a number of reasons, in the past 20 years, uh, the diversity in Maine's fishing industry has collapsed, I would say. you know, they, they used to have federal permits and they could go out in federal waters and there were ground fish in the Gulf of Maine. Number one, there aren't nearly as many ground fish in the Gulf of Maine now. And number two, they don't have access to those federal permits. And we don't have enough time to get into the reasons why <laughs> that is right now. Um, but so they, you know, fish for shrimp and scallops and lobster and, and do other things. And now we have... A lot of fishermen in a lot of coastal communities that are that are dependent just on the lobster resource. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important that we bring back Maine's scallop fishery, because that's going to be an opportunity for these fishermen to be making a lot more money and be bringing that, that money into their communities. And if the lobster resource should take a downturn, they've got that. You know, they're hedging their bets.
1: Yeah. I mean, not only is it a good fallback, but it promotes aquaculture as a whole. I mean, the aqua system. Uh. Uh, yeah.
3: I wouldn't say aquaculture. There are a lot of fishermen that would get pissed off <laughs> if you equated them to aquaculturists. Yeah. even though, you know, in many ways, uh, in many ways, they're, they're lobstermen that believe that they are farming lobster. Yeah. But yes, and there is, you know, there is aquaculture right now for scallops is just beginning. But I mean, I focus on the, on the commercial scallop fishery and bringing that back because we've made such a great deal of progress in the past few years to, to bring that fishery back. Yeah,
1: I mean, growing up, was the spread at the table full of scallops? Was it full of lobster? Was uh, there that bounty? No,
3: I would say that, you know, my parents being teachers didn't make a whole lot of money. And so um, if money was tight, we'd eat illegal lobsters. <laughs> I shouldn't admit to, perhaps. But no, I mean, we ate a lot of lobster and it was nothing special. I remember many days that my parents would sit at the kitchen counter uh, playing cribbage, eating Ruffles potato chips and lobster. And, you know, that was that was the lunch. So it's definitely not um, it's not looked at as something as special as it is outside of Maine. Yeah. So, I mean, let's
1: let's let's talk about the more logistical things, the policy, because Mm -hmm. you actually went to school. Uh, uh, for more of that than mm-hmm. than anything else. What did you go to school for?
3: And well, my undergraduate was in geology from yeah. decades ago. <laughs> um, I got a master's in marine policy from the University of Maine, and I focused on fisheries management. Uh, did work on i looked into the factors that led to the development of maine 's first interlocal clam management program, which means a bunch of towns got together to manage their clam resource uh, and that was actually where my scallop research started as well. I did a project on the Alaskan weather vane scallop fishery
1: um also the disappearing. Infrastructure
3: of oh that was a contract some yeah. contract work that I did afterwards yes for the Massachusetts Fishermen's Partnership uh, looking at how really Maine and other communities throughout New England but I would say particularly in Maine lost their fisheries infrastructure when when a lot of these boats were going into these harbors you know they had they had the equipment to, you know to haul the the fish off the boats uh, they had the, the places to buy ice uh, the places to you know work on your boat and that's no longer the case largely now we have uh, communities that can handle the lobster resource, which is very different than the groundfish resource or scallops or things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we talked briefly before about Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, that without Canada, the the Maine lobster industry probably could not happen mm-hmm. because it is an infrastructure of a sort for that industry. Right, itself. there's
3: processing that goes on. I mean, right now there there's a lot of talk going on right now in Maine uh, about how to make the lobster industry more profitable. Um, because, like I said, the prices that they're getting are the same now as they were 15, 20 years ago, and the costs are so much higher. And one of the things that they're looking at is the fact that we land this lobster, we put it in trucks, and we ship it to Canada. It's processed in Canada, which means it's cooked and and picked, and then it comes back down. They sell it back to us. Uh, and so a lot of fishermen look at that and say that's wrong. We need to stop doing that, and damn Canada. But then without Canada, like we have a huge influx of soft shell markets that come on. You know, that come onto the market in the summer, and if we didn't have Canada to absorb, Canada to absorb that, the price would be even lower than it is right now.
1: Yeah. Is is there a secondary um, business partner in a sense that helps drive the scallop industry, or is this something completely different? I know we've been. talking... This is talking- something completely yeah, yeah. different and so much better. Yeah. <laughs> What a, what a difference a day makes! <laughs> exactly, taste the yeah. difference a
3: day makes. Um, I I am obsessed with Maine's scallop fishery. I can say yeah. that. I mean, I'm on the borderline of being a little bit crazy about it. I would say. Um, I started working for the Department of Marine Resources in 2007, and I think on the intro to this show, you mentioned that you know Maine is known for lobster, and that's true. And really, it is like the star quarterback in Maine. Um, to the point where when I started at DMR, the Department of Marine Resources, DMR, uh, they had two resource management coordinators, one for lobster and one for everything else. And I was the everything else. Uh, and because I was everything else, I got to focus on, you know, what I wanted to focus on. And I looked at the scallop fishery. Um, which is a fishery that had the value of Maine scallop fishery had been second to lobster for, you know, a number of years. And then there was a huge boom in the Gulf of Maine and a bunch of guys got into it and they overfished it and it collapsed and it just didn't recover. And... Fisheries management, I mean, I could go on, I I could bore you for a really long time on, you know, communal action dilemmas and why that one fisherman knows he shouldn't take that fish, but if he doesn't take it, someone else is. So it's, there are dilemmas that are really hard to solve. Well, with scallops, it's far more simple than in other fisheries in terms of people generally, you know, accept the fact that if you, close an area and just don't fish it for a while. The scallops will come back. Main scallops grow at a rate of anywhere between 30 to f- up to 50% per year. So if you had uh, a bank account that was growing at 30 to 50% yeah. a year, you would not be taking off the principal. You know, you'd be letting it sit there. Um, and so I administered the Scallop Advisory Council, which is a group of, of industry people in Maine that had been placed there by the legislature to advise the department. Um, but they hadn't really done much for a number of years. It's sort of they would get together and talk about scalloping. And so I came on. I'll spitfire. I mean, you know, I'm sort of energetic anyway. And I'm like, we're going to fix this. And. So, you know, we started, you know, I started baking cookies for them and, you know, showing them the love and letting let them know that, you know, they were appreciated and that we can actually do something. And they got, you know, they really got onto it. And we ended up going from having a, a scallop fishery that basically the way it had been regulated for decades was we're going to limit this to a season where it won't interfere with lobstering. I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, yeah. but
1: not much. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, some of the fishermen that you work for now or work with now, mm-hmm. um, also do lobstering, but then in off seasons mm-hmm. because scalloping. I mean, we've talked about the lifespan mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. I want to touch on that mm-hmm. some more because I wanted to find what a scallop really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a very short season in which the scallops mm-hmm. that you work with are fished right. for. Correct?
3: That's right. And when I came on board, it was uh, it was anywhere from December 1st to April 15th, and then with the scallop advisory council, we cut the season back to any seven any 70 days between those. So we yeah. cut the season in half and. We, and we did a lot of things. We established a daily limit. We stopped allowing new licenses. And the big thing is that we put these closures in place to allow the resource to recover. Um, and they were in place for three years. And this year right here is the first year that, that the fishermen have been able to fish those. And they're, they're getting back in there and saying, wow, wow these worked you yeah. know and i mean i got i got my i'm very proud of my death threat that i received <laughs> as a result of what happened when uh, when i was at dmr but when i saw what was coming out of those scalloped closed areas i'm like screw you yeah. i told you no, well i
1: mean we were talking a little bit before about how i feel about the mm-hmm. new york fishing industry but that is a whole nother mm-hmm. uh, story but a large part of this is not just reviving but re-education mm-hmm. because uh, the focus has been on one thing and on lobster or the way they've been treating scallops poorly for so Mm -hmm. many years that if you treat scallops correctly mm-hmm. for so many years that there is a yield um, that's
3: right if you just leave them alone there's a way to bring that fishery back and and they've done that and it's starting i mean it's, i cannot say that this is any like 100 sustainable yeah. and it could be you know you know green lights all ahead but it's a lot closer now than it was in the past and the landings are going up but they're going up at a sustainable level so we closed these areas some of them increased 800 percent in the first year and a half the biomass increased by 800 percent. and i was really worried that when they were opened up that DMR would face political pressure to, you know, let the boys work. We've got a, you know, a Tea Party governor. We've got, you know, you know, a lot of people that are that are anti-government. Why,
1: why couldn't a Tea Party governor just throw tea Party? <laughs> I mean, just really, that Actually, would be much more exciting.
3: I have to say though, and I mean, I was never a fan of of the Tea Party, yeah. and I, I didn't vote for our current governor, and yet he really seems to value Maine's fishing industry, and so I. I have to give him the thumbs up on the priorities that he's put into making Maine's fishing industry more profitable. And the Maine scallop fishery is the huge opportunity, I believe, in Maine because of how much, if you just, we know, there's so much uncertainty in fisheries, but we pretty much know as certainty, as certain as any fisheries plan can be. If you just leave scallops there and leave them alone, give them a break, they'll come back. You will get much larger scallops, so you're getting more per pound, plus you'll get more um, it's, it's a win-win when what's going on in Maine Scala Fishery right now is win-win.
1: So you've defined a little bit of the areas that they grow in. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is the environment like? Are they bays? Are they, you know, miles off the coast?
3: No, we, I mean, by definition, it's a state fishery. And so they have to be caught within three miles of shore. And, it you know, some, sometimes it's in the rocks. Sometimes it's in the mud. Um, but all along Maine's coast, there are, there are pockets. One of the most productive areas is, is Cobb Cook Bay down east, and that's going to be more of a mud area. And then there are rock areas, you know, gravel, lots of different areas. All along Maine's, Maine's uh iconic coastline yeah
1: and what is a scallop i know it as a bivalve, as a mollusk Mm -hmm. but i only know those words because they feel cool to say
3: here's another cool (laughs) word for you or two words placopectin magellanicus
1: i'm gonna listen to (laughs) this again and just repeat it over (laughs) and over
3: placopectin magellanicus uh that's the genus and species of the giant sea scallop that's what we have in maine maine is the only state that has a commercial fishery for it and that's because we are the only state that has cold waters that are close to shore that are cold enough for it to exist Um, so it it is what we do, the the scallop that we as Americans eat is really just the adductor muscle, which is the, you know, a little piece, you know, you can think of it as a, you know, a quarter size or half dollar size muscle that they use to open and close their shell. And it gets really big in scallops because they actually move by jetting water through their shell. So that's why they get so big. Um, In other parts of the world, they can eat the entire scallop. You can't in Maine because of paralytic shellfish uh, poison concerns because the Gulf of Maine has very high levels of PSP toxins. And unlike other bivalves, the scallops concentrate it um, in in their tissues. However, the adductor muscle, which is what we eat, is safe.
1: Yeah. I mean, aside <clears throat> from the adductor, what could you get from a scallop? You
3: could get the roe. And I'm actually, <laughs> we're, funny you'd ask that yeah. question. Um, I am working with a researcher in Maine to get some grant funds to prove that scallop roe, <laughs> Uh, could be safely eaten throughout the year in Maine, and I want to get a market for a row on scallops. It'll be a, f- uh, a few years before we do that. I actually have the only license in the state right now to sell scallop adductor muscles on the half shell, so that I can I can sell you the scallop shell, so you know five and a half inch shell with the adductor muscle on it, and that makes a really nice presentation. Um, a lot of chefs use that. You know, it's a nice tapas presentation. And, you know, it, look, it comes with its very own plate. Yeah. So that's nice.
1: Um, <clears throat> scallops. I mean, No, I'm sorry. It's scallops. It's yeah, I know. I, I wish I had a manor accent. I can't do that breathing thing. Though. Yeah. I'm getting better at it. Um, Excuse me. So, I mean, I understand your infatuation and mm-hmm. focus on scallops. Um, was it hard to talk to or convert some of these fishermen who weren't farming scallops or weren't working with scallops mm-hmm. that this was... Well, not necessarily a cash crop because I know mm-hmm. you personally aren't in it for the money. Mm-hmm. You're in it for the the, the, yes. the phoenixology of uh, yeah. The scallop I want
3: itself. I I want Maine's scallop fishermen to be making more money. And I mean, at this point, I am largely I'm on a self-funded promotional campaign yeah. for Maine scallops. So
1: and if anyone's listening out there, Togue is more than willing to come to your restaurant mm-hmm. chefs and educate you about scallops and
3: scallops and lobster and shrimp and halibut and all the other exciting seafoods that you can get uh, from Maine. That's it. So,
1: the scallop industry in Maine. Mm-hmm.
3: How do people eat
1: scallops in Maine? I mean, is there a specific recipe? Is there a specific cooking method?
3: There are all sorts of ways. I mean, it's like saying, how do you eat chicken? Um, it's there are many ways that you can eat them. To be honest, most fishermen's favorite way to eat scallops is uh, raw, right on the boat, and they'll just pop the whole things down. Um, they're they're very tasty raw, and when you eat them on the boat, or when you eat them, if I've just brought them to you, you know they'll be moving around in your mouth. They've got this Lazarus response where they're so fresh that if you flick them, they sort of.
1: I've never heard it as a Lazarus response. It's, it's, yeah.
3: I found that out last year that that's what it's called as a Lazarus yeah, response. That's kind of And it's, it's I mean I had on one website I noticed a place that sells diver scallops uh, claim that it's because of the oxygen present in the scallop because it had not been traumatized by the drag. That is not true. Drag-caught scallops also have that and and I won't bore you, but drag-caught scallops are just as sustainable as diver-caught scallops. So I want to try to educate people that don't think dive or drag. Think main scallop. If it's a main scallop, it's a day boat product that was landed on the day that it was caught. And if you get it from me, it's going to be delivered within 48 hours of being caught.
1: So, day boat, diver, drag, what are other genre types of scallops?
3: I mean, the federal fishery, they have a very lucrative fishery where those are trip boats. Um, so they're going off, they're bringing in, you know, tens of thousands of pounds at a time. Uh, and those are larger boats. I mean, if you go into Canada, you'll have some some boats where they're, they're freezing them on deck. And actually, the reason that I launched my whole company is that I mentioned when I started working at DMR, we made a lot of changes. And as a result of cutting the season in half and establishing a daily limit and closing 20% of the coast, you know, we had to go out there and speak to fishermen and hence my death threat <laughs> um and at one meeting in jonesport we were talking about what we might do um, to help bring the resource back and one guy was saying we should cut the daily limit and i remember the guy morris alley stood up and said you know i wouldn't mind cutting the limit if i knew what price i was going to get but i never know what price i'm going to get and it just sort of hit me that here's this guy that's bringing in 80 pounds in a day you know from his little dinky boat they're they're still moving when they're when they're cut from the shell, and the price that he gets is being set by the federal fishery, where you've got these corporations bringing in, you know, there are sometimes hundreds of thousands of pounds, not generally, but you know, say fifteen twenty thousand pounds in a trip, and those federal scallops are good quality. I'm not trying to put down those scallops, but it's like they're the barefoot Chardonnay, and we're mixing in our. Um, high-end Bordeaux because no one's really focusing on them. And, you know, the consumer is losing out also because they're not getting to taste that. And there are dealers down East that are getting this pristine product. And because nobody is focusing on marketing that as a distinguished, uh, differentiated product, they're treating it as if it were anything else. They're soaking them in warm water to so they'll soak up more, you know, they'll Pump weigh up, more. Yeah. yeah, so there's a guy that, you know, he'll pay the fisherman 10 bucks a pound and then he'll sell them for 10 bucks a pound. But he soaked them overnight, so yeah. he's making 40%. You know, and so I really, I tried to get dealers for a while to really... You know, focus on this. You should be selling, you know, just Maine scallops and, and do promotion for that. But because the federal fishery is so lucrative, you know, there, there wasn't really much of an incentive to, for anyone to change their business practices um, and to, to really do what I did, which is become obsessed with Maine scallops.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned a perfect person that we're going to talk about in the second half of the show, Maurice. His brother Raymond, mm-hmm. uh, Maurice's son, Preston, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you did the, your homework. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah the, the you know the men behind mm-hmm. uh, um, the scallop mm-hmm. industry, the actual fishers, and you know what this does for their lives mm-hmm. and, and their livelihood. Um, because what I've noticed throughout the years in doing research about fish, um, we are so willing to say Maine lobster, mm-hmm. but we don't know who the fisher is. Mm-hmm. Yet, this farm-to-table movement, we can tell you where arugula is from, mm-hmm. where our hens lay their eggs. But fish seems to be, uh, you know, not to use it as a pun, out at sea. Mm-hmm. So it's just not as solid ground mm-hmm. as, you know, dealing with uh, other industries. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying so, to change that. And I'm, I'm sure you will. <laughs> and we're going to take a quick break and talk more, scallop with Braun. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
2: We'd like to give a big welcome to our newest business members, Jonathan and Amelia Sawyer, at the Greenhouse Tavern in Cleveland, Ohio. Their restaurant follows green principles of organic and environmentally friendly ingredients while using recyclables and highly developed methods of composting, sourcing alternative energy, and focusing on conservation practices. To learn more, visit their website, www.greenhousetavern.com. To learn more about becoming a business member, email us, info at heritageradionetwork.org. Every Wednesday at noon, Dorothy can Hamilton, founder and CEO of the International Culinary Center, interviews the top chefs in the world on Chef's Story. Hear from chefs like Christina Tosi. I'm
3: going to be the best pastry cook this restaurant's ever seen.
2: Francis Malman. Cooking with fires, it, it's very feminine. It's very fragile. And Jacques Pepin. I was invited to work at the White House for uh, John Kennedy. Learn how the greats become great every Wednesday at 12 p.m. on Chef's Story heritage radio org.
1: hey and welcome back to the food scene on heritage radio org. just a few thank yous uh greenhouse tavern Jonathan and Amelia Sawyer for being uh, business partners uh he's been on the show we're gonna air that episode soon and I can't thank him and his whole crew enough. If you're ever in Cleveland, stop on by. And also thank you to Annie Brown for the introduction to <laughs> Tog Brown, who I think will also make waves in the seafood well, industry you. someday. Um, but let's talk about the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Morris Alley, mm-hmm. who has a, a sibling and a son mm-hmm. that you've also worked with in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, what did their work looked like before you convinced them or they convinced themselves to join. Yeah, I don't the want to take cause. too
3: much credit yeah. uh, for, for all of this because it was a, it was a group effort. Um, I mean, I was the person at DMR that sort of made the recommendations, but it was a combination of the, the administration at the time, the work that I did, the work that the scallop advisory council did, uh, which is a group of it's an industry group that helps advise the department on matters pertaining to the scallop fishery and the fishermen themselves. Um, And you asked about me convincing guys. I mean, guys knew that there was an opportunity with the scallop fishery. Um, but they, what it was is they didn't have faith that it would ever change. And that even if they'd made changes, you know, it would still get overfished. And I think, I think what I was able to add to it was just enthusiasm of, yes, you are going to change. And, um, one of my coworkers once described me as seven parts robocop and three parts (laughs) cheerleader. And that's, yeah, you need that. You need to appreciate, I mean I really respected the fishermen that came to the Scallop Advisory Council that put their time in and tried to change this. Um, and there had been times uh, they looked back at the glory days of fishing, for instance in Gouldsboro Bay where you used to be able to, you know, fill the deck in half a day. And what I was so pleased at it this this year, guys. Went into Goolsboro Bay and said, I've never seen it like that. And that's because that was an area that we closed for for three years. And so just a three-year closure brought it back to a point where it was better than it had ever been in, in anyone's memory.
1: So let's talk numbers, um, because mm-hmm. back in 97, you, mm-hmm. you've mentioned that, you know, hundreds upon hundreds, like 700 pounds could be brought into that bay by a single fisherman.
3: even even more than that yeah. so guys were fishing i mean one of the uh, Kristen porter who i went out with this year he was talking about that they would go out and they would just absolutely <coughs> fill the deck with scallops then they'd steam back and they'd shuck and you have to you can't shuck on shore you have to shuck them at sea um so they'd go back to the mooring, and they'd be shucking until midnight, and they wouldn't even be able to shuck all the scallops. Uh, and then the next morning, they'd try, when they went out again, to separate out so that they would know which was yesterday's and which was today's, and then, you know, they would just be fishing and shucking and fishing and shucking. And he was telling me this story this weekend, and I'm like, and you wonder why the fishery collapsed? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, he, he knows that. Um, but, I mean, there's all, there have always been booms and busts, but the problem is, when it's booming, People see that as a gold rush, so they rush into it, and then it's you know it goes over the cliff. Um, and you need to control the harvest. You need to you know you should be allowed to make money. You know let the boys work, as they say. But then you've got to stop it. You've got to stop fishing when there are enough scallops on the bottom so that they can replenish and still grow and give you more the following year. And that's what DMR is doing this year: is closing these limited access areas. What was closed for three years now they're limited access areas. You have limited opportunities to fish in there. And these guys are going out, and they're you know they're getting their limit sometimes by nine o'clock in the morning, you know, and then they shock. And so they're they've been out fishing for three hours, and they got the original limit was twenty was um, twenty gallons, so one hundred and eighty five pounds. They're getting ten bucks a pound. That's eighteen fifty. I mean, that's a very good payday for yeah. a few hours. Whereas last year, I actually stopped. I unfortunately came to New York City and went to a few restaurants and said, "I want to get you these scallops," and because it was the Last year that the closed areas were closed, they had been in the open areas and only fishing in those open areas for so long that they had sort of depleted those open areas. And I didn't feel right continuing to sell when they were fishing all day for 40, 50 pounds. Um, so it's, things are a lot brighter right now in Maine scallop Fishery than they have been in years past.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that's a huge difference. You know, the 1,000 pounds to the 15-gallon uh, regulations mm-hmm. that are now... Um, but it's also a change in, you know, uh, lifestyle mm-hmm. in the sense, you know, the, like you said, the fishing industry or even the fishermen collapsing, trying to do that many pounds in a day mm-hmm. and not even be able to accomplish that. So you're not only trying to change uh, the, the quality, mm-hmm. but the, also the quality of life of the industry.
3: Uh, i don 't know i 'm thinking that my, my first impulse is that 's a bit of a stretch i don 't I don't know well i mean the fish the fishermen would i 'm sure would love it if we would just let them have a few days of those thousand pounds yeah, yeah. again you know um, but it is you do have to change the mindset i guess is is one way of <clears throat> excuse me, sorry <clears throat> you have to let them um, you have to let them make a living, but everybody has to understand no one's going to make a pl- complete gold rush payday because when you start doing that, then everybody suffers. And people are people are on board. They've seen what's happened in these closed areas in there. And that's something where I mean, a lot of these guys, they lobster in the summer. Um, in Washington and Hancock counties, which is where I believe it's 85% of Maine scallops are landed, there's really not much else, and not much is is, uh, is saying it politely, there's nothing else to do in the winter. And so... Having a scallop fishery that you, for instance, twenty pounds to fifteen pounds. The DMR just changed the daily limit from twenty pounds to fifty. It used be twenty gallons to fifteen gallons because they want this fishery to be extended through the end of the season. They're seeing that they're, you know, quite a bit of effort in these closed areas. They want to make sure that they are able to be fished throughout the rest of the season. So they lowered the limit, and and that's what you need to to be thinking of it. it's a very small boat fishery that's what distinguishes maine from other areas you've got these guys that are going out and coming back in the same day and you want to you want them to be able to continue doing that throughout the season
1: let's talk about other seasonal changes Mm -hmm. and let's talk a little bit about climate Mm -hmm. um maybe even global warming Mm -hmm. or you know coastal development or you know whatever toxic runoff Mm -hmm. have these things affected that industry too um are there other things that you have to watch out for while trying to Uh, revive the scallop
3: there they have but what we had to be careful of is is in fisheries in anything but i think particularly in fisheries where you have um more independent guys everybody wants to blame everybody and everything else for the problems and so we would talk about having to cut back on effort to to bring the resource back and they would be pointing at us saying no you need to stop the runoff and okay maybe there's some runoff but that's not what collapsed this fishery you guys overfished it um so that is you know there are issues, and there are you know Holturechem there was a, a chemical plant that put a lot of mercury into the water, and so you know, you need to be cognizant of that. I mean, a lot of the coast of Maine has been cleaned up uh, with the regulations that went in place you know in the eighties and so I would say pollution is not a huge deal, perhaps, but then there isn't you know there are pockets where you have gray meats, and we don 't know why those those gray meats are occurring and it 's something to be aware of global warming certainly is something um Fortunately, you know, there's ocean acidification, and that's a big problem for a lot of the clam flats in Maine. I actually have been, I've heard recently that some of the guys are only fill, filling their hods half full because the weight of the clams, um, they're collapsing or they're, they're breaking the shells because they're not as thick as they had been. Um, <clears throat> and of course, scallops have shells, but they don't seem to be as impacted by uh, acidification as clams do.
1: Where does that acidification come from?
3: The increasing amount of, of Carbon dioxide in the atmosphere um, means to actually it's sort of counterintuitive, but there's more there's more carbon available. And I I don't have the exact chemical formula in my mind now. I'm like, damn, I should have written that down. (laughs) Um, But as, as the ocean waters warm, they become more acidic.
1: Interesting. It's kind of like seltzer
3: sure i'll say it's like <laughs> seltzer I'm, you know what i'm gonna have all these emails back to me when i get back yeah. like, tog i sent you that paper didn't yeah. you read that paper it's like, no, Actually, i'm I was glad i'm answering scallops. a lot of
1: questions for you then. it's
3: like seltzer yeah
1: it's like seltzer <laughs> it's like a fizzy so you know there there are so many factors that you're dealing with right now let's let's highlight some of the wonderful qualities mm-hmm. of the scallop itself we talked about just eating them straight mm-hmm. and raw and there, there are plenty of other like mm-hmm. coquille saint jacques is mm-hmm. one of my favorite dishes ever not just mm-hmm. scallop not just seafood ever you know mm-hmm. um I don't know if that seems blasphemous to you know bake a scallop in cream. No, no,
3: absolutely. There there are lots of one of my favorite ways to cook them is I just take them and I sauté them in um, butter and honey. I work at a restaurant in Maine, Jay's Oyster, where we
1: can stop by and see. People can stop
3: by (laughs) Jay's Oyster. They cannot get Maine scallops because Jay's Oyster will not sell my Maine scallops, much to my chagrin. Um, But we do have good scallops, not great scallops, but good scallops from the federal fishery. Uh, And you sauté the scallops in butter and honey. It's called Jay's scallops. And then they put them in a casserole dish and put rich cracker crumbs on top and broil them. And it's very simple but very delicious. Kewpie mayonnaise. Uh, it's a Japanese mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. If you just pan Sierra scallop in butter and then dip it in Kewpie mayonnaise, it's orgasmic. I mean, that is <laughs> that is the the best way, I think, other than raw, to serve a scallop. Yeah. One of the fishermen, whenever I go, I used to do port sampling, which is, you know, the guys would come in and you would see what they would catch and you could want it or how that would change over the season. And there was this old, crusty old guy that would come and ha- – <clears throat> hang out as we were waiting for the boats to come in and I asked him once "You know, what's your favorite way and he said I like shake and bake (laughs) so you know shake and bake scallops oh yeah well I've
1: been hearing iterations of shake and bake uh, shake and bake recently with uh, those hot Cheetos Mm. that you can crunch those up but I, I don't know if you'd want to do that to your scallop (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they're, as far as I'm concerned, if it tastes good, do it. I yeah. don't care if you roll them in, like, Dorito dust, you know. If, if you like the taste of it, then you should eat it. So I'm not going to be all, you know highbrow and say you should never do that to a scallop but you yeah. know wrap it in bacon that's always good however you like it and these scallops are so good some people actually have said that they don't like them as well because there's not as much of a fishy flavor because they're so fresh <laughs> they haven't developed that fishy yeah. flavor well it's like keep it in your refrigerator for uh, you know a few weeks because i mean the average the average length of a federal trip is it's you know 10.5 days Wow. So by the time you get them, they're two weeks old. So just buy mine, put them in your refrigerator for two weeks, and then you'll be fine.
1: And day boat is not a misnomer. I mean, Mm -hmm. how quickly are you getting these scallops to people?
3: Um, What happens is I get them on either the day that they were harvested or the morning after, and then I deliver them that day. So in Portland, I can do that. So I can guarantee within 24 hours in Portland, if I'm dealing with New York City, I have to be practical and say within 48 hours of harvest.
1: Oh darn, I have to get I have to wait forty eight hours yeah. for my scallops.
3: Yeah, so but that's still, you know, twelve days sooner than you might be getting yeah, yeah. from the federal fishery.
1: Well, uh, I advise anyone who's anybody, uh, chef, restaurant, home cook alike, go to Maine day boat scallops, see all of Togue Bronze. Uh, amazing information, mm-hmm. check out her product uh, the, the blog we were talking about mm-hmm. a new little deal not well, oh
3: not- I am trying to i 'm trying to get into the New York market and eventually, I would like to be selling at what 's going to become the new Amsterdam market for chefs um, at the old Fulton fish market, but that 's not open yet eventually i 'll be there, but for right now, if I can get up enough volume i 'd like to come down to New York City once a week and i 'm offering scallops for. $20 a pound, and for every every particular user, for every 20 pounds you buy, I will give you a pound for free.
1: See, as someone who really believes uh, in upgrading the quality of fish in New York City, as far as retail or even in restaurants... I believe in this product, and this is not a you know infomercial. This is because I wholeheartedly care about what you're doing, and also find you absolutely fascinating. Like, well, thank
3: you. I agree, but I'm not <laughs> yes. unbiased. And I, and I thought I could
1: talk. Um, <laughs> Tog might have to have her own show just about the seafood industry eventually. Happy but, to do it for free. <laughs> but thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you very much. MainDayBoatScallops.com. Dot, to- dot com. <laughs> Tog Check it out. She will come. Find you. Mane scarlets rule. Woo. You've been listening to The Food Scene on org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.
2: Thanks for listening to this program on org.